2: All right, welcome to episode 86. So you might have noticed just by the title that this episode is different. I have a guest on the show today, I've gone 85 episodes with no guests, and that's going to change today, and it's going to change in a great, big, exciting, value-packed way. And obviously, I've I've given this a lot of thought. You know, I've done 85 episodes, no guests, for a reason, in that I really wanted to challenge myself to really be introspective, and of course, to provide value in the process. But I've come to the point where I want, um, I want more perspective than my own. You know, I want to prove that. Just hearing something from someone else, whether it's the same thing for the 100th time but said in a different way or something completely new, it could be a, a catalyst for huge change in your life. And I fundamentally believe that. that's why I'm so passionate about connecting with people um, that I decided to have my first guest on the show. And today's guest is Alex Lieberman. You might not know who he is, but he is the CEO, co-founder of Morning Brew you don't know what the morning brew is, it's a, it's a daily morning email. Um, they, they, they focus on business news. Um, and it's really exciting. You've probably seen them in the news lately. Um, they just hit 1 million subscribers, which is insane. That's an insane amount of people that are just passionate about what they've created. Alex was named Forbes 30 under 30. Uh, he's 25 years old. He lives in New York city. Uh, and he's just a chill dude. We've known each other for, for some time now have just being in the same entrepreneurial space. And we've, we've been fortunate to connect throughout the past couple of years that I decided to have him on. And I decided to have him on not to talk about his business, not to talk about what the morning brew is doing, but you should definitely check him out. But, uh, to talk about his mindset, because here you have this guy, this dude, we're very similar. Um, you know, he taught, he's going to talk about his, his mindset, his career path and how he ultimately decided to create something for himself, something to offer him fulfillment, something to challenge himself, something to just, um, iterate on his desire for more curiosity in his life. So I'm super excited to have Alex on as my first guest. Uh, and I'll just hop right into it. Man, Alex, welcome to the podcast. It's been a long time coming. Uh, it's funny that we're we're like internet and phone friends, but we've never met in person. We'll change that soon. But uh, I'm glad I'm glad I got you to come on the podcast, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I'm uh,
1: honored to be uh, your first guest, um, and I'm uh, excited to meet you in the next few months because, like you said, we've become like best digital friends, which is just so 2019. But I'd like to actually
2: <laughs> right. put uh, a face to a name. Right, right on, man. Uh, Cool. So let's get into it, man. I think, uh, yeah, it's cool to have have a guest on here. I mean, I am I am very full of myself. I love to hear myself talk, but I think it'll be (laughs) refreshing to to get your perspective on things. But we're very similar, so I think I think people from a mindset perspective will get a lot out of out of what you've um, what you've been how you've been growing, what you've been going through, and and kind of like that. So I guess my first question for you is: I I talk a lot about um, experiences, a lot about purpose, passion. Um, listening to your intuition, making decisions for yourself. Um, and one of the things that popped out at me about yourself is that you graduated um, from University of Michigan, um, and you had a job at Morgan Stanley. You worked there. Um, it's a great job coming out of school. I think a lot of people would kill for a job like that, an opportunity like that. But you, you left that job rather quickly. Um, so I, I'd love to know a little bit about your thought process there, um, kind of how you made that decision, how you went from this idea to action with Morning Brew. And just a Little bit about that. So tell, tell me about that process from when you graduated. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, it's really funny looking back on it because
1: I'll get into this in a sec, but I, from the youngest age, thought I was destined to be uh, a lifetime Wall Street person. Um, you know, I come from a Wall Street family. My dad was in sales and trading for 20 years. My mom was in sales and trading for 17 years. My grandpa was in sales and trading for something close to 20 years. And so um, you know, not only did we have just a- incredibly uh, interesting uh, conversations at the dinner table when I was thirteen years old, and the Wall Street Journal that had already been put in my hands, but uh, I also just like I was very simple in how I thought about things, which was I had a number of role models in my life. All of my role models worked in financial services, and I was I didn't even consider anything else. I was like, okay, I know that I'm going to try to be the best trader in the world. Uh, you know, I literally had a whiteboard in my room growing up that said like life goals and number one trader in the world was on that board. Uh, fortunately or unfortunately, I will never be the number one trader in the world. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was just like, I need to craft my path around having a career in financial services. And so, you know, that's why I went to the university of Michigan. So I grew up in Livingston, New Jersey, went to a really small private high school which I loved, uh, specifically for like the academics and the sports, but I always wanted something more in terms of like a well-rounded, uh, college experience that had a really good social component to it as well. And so I chose Michigan one, because I thought it was the full package and two, because it had, you know, a pretty esteemed business program. And even throughout all of college, uh, I was anticipating that I was going to be working as a trader. Uh, you know, I was in the business school, studied real estate and financial markets, had my internships after freshman year, sophomore year, junior year, and basically what happened was I got into my senior year at Michigan. I was lucky enough that I had been given a job offer to work in sales and trading for Morgan Stanley, literally the, the job that I had been striving to get for my entire life was in my senior year, had this job in hand. Only had to take two classes my whole senior year, and so I was like, "I need to do something to pass the time, uh, or else my brain's going to spontaneously combust." Like, I spent a week in the beginning of my senior year playing a combination of like FIFA, uh, Mario Kart, and Mario Party, and I was just like, "I cannot do this for a semester straight. Yeah. My my brain will literally turn into a a, a pile of water." And so. I started just helping kids prep for job interviews. Uh, A ton of people at Michigan re-recruit during their senior year for either a different company or just a totally different direction. And I worked with between 75 and 100 um, different kids, and I would always start these conversations by asking, how do you keep up with the business world? And every single student would have the same canned answer to that question. They would say, you know, I read the Wall Street Journal, and I read it because I feel like I have to, because it's a prerequisite to say you're well-read in business, but it's dense, it's dry, and I don't have enough time in my day to read the journal cover to cover. And so at some point I was just like, this is crazy. These kids are working their asses off to have careers in business, whether it be sales and trading, marketing and advertising, real estate, sales, yet they don't have content that story tells the business world in a fun and engaging way. And so, you know, had no media uh, background, had no editorial background, but I just started writing a daily business roundup. At the time, it was called Market Corner. I would spend four hours a day basically combing through the 15 to 20 top business news uh, outlets and pick the five stories that I thought the college business mind would be most passionate about. And I would condense these stories into, you know, 50 to 150 word blurbs that read like the conversation we're having right now. I would include an interview question of the day, a, you know, uh, a investor of the day, a stock pitch of the day, and I would put it together literally in a Microsoft Word template with a bear and a bull fighting in the top corner. There was literally a watermark going across the image. And I would export it into a PDF and attach it to an email that would go out to a listserv of people every day. And you know that started with 45 people, which included the people I was helping to prepare for interviews and my family. And every day thereafter during my first semester senior year, Um, people would just text me or emailing saying, uh, you know, Hey, I heard about your daily business roundup. Can you add me to your listserv? There was no website. People literally had to be added manually to a listserv I was managing. And by the end of first semester, senior year at Michigan, uh, the entire business school was signed up for that. Um, that's when I knew there was clear appetite for better business content. I ended up bringing on Austin reef as my co-founder who was two years younger than me at Michigan. Uh, I graduated 2015. He graduated 2017. We launched Morning Brew in its current form as a daily email newsletter uh, in March of 2015. And we basically did it part-time for two years until I quit my job in Morgan Stanley in September of 2016 after being at my dream job, quote-unquote dream job, for a year and a half. And Austin joined me after he graduated from Michigan in April of 2017. Sorry, I just spoke for like ten yeah, minutes, so no, dude, I'm gonna wait for you to perfect. unpack everything.
2: That's that's great, dude. Yeah, there's a, t- a ton in there. I appreciate the the background because you know I think a lot of people are like, well, yeah, you know, he started this thing and then boom, but like it was a process, you know. from oh, it was such from a process. To, it's 2019 right now, um, so yeah. So there's a lot in there. I want to unpack it. I guess one of the things that I wanted to, to highlight, I want to go back to you quitting the job because that's big. And I appreciate you going into the depth because it shows that you, you had this vision for yourself um, derived from your own passions, derived maybe a little bit from um, kind of how you were raised expectations there. And then you did this complete 180 and changed. I guess I want to unpack what your mindset was like there. How did you commit to doing that? Did you feel any guilt or like you were letting yourself down or your parents or anything like that? Because uh, that's what I see a lot of time. People are afraid to make big changes because they're like, Oh, sure. this is what I've always wanted, or this is what was always expected of me. But then you, you, you bid, you, you got your, your ideal job, and so you've been working towards, but then you completely changed. So what was your mindset? Like, what did it take to you to, to actually be like, all right, I'm going to go for this.
1: Yeah. So I think there's a few things there. One is this was not like a switch that flipped overnight. And I was just like one morning, woke up, had my coffee and eggs. and was like, Oh yeah, I'm going to quit my job today. Like that, <laughs> right. that was not how it went at all. Right. Um, and in fact, I originally was thinking about the idea of not even going to Morgan Stanley full time at the end of college, and even though I think people uh, assume that like all startups are so risky and that startup founders are so risk loving, I generally disagree with that. I think one, there's such a spectrum of risk uh, in different startups, and also startup founders are willing to take different levels of risk. So while Leaving a job seems like such a risky thing. It was so incredibly calculated and it was a decision that I made literally over the course of a year and a half. I didn't uh, do Morning Brew full-time right out of school because I didn't believe that uh, there was a large enough foundation uh, to our audience at that time. I think when I graduated from Michigan, we probably had something around, I don't know, 10,000 readers. Um, so I didn't think there was a large enough foundation that I felt good enough about the risk I'd be taking. Um I also worried about the fact that I would committed to an analyst program and commitment and, you know, keeping your word is really important to me. And I also just knew that my mom, who I love dearly, is incredibly overprotective of me and who worked in sales and trading for 20 years. If I uh, looked her straight in the face and said uh, that I was going to not start something that I've been talking about doing for 20 years, uh, she may have disowned me. So it was a combination of things um, yeah. with making the actual decision. So like just envision for a year and a half, when I started working for Morgan Stanley, I had the same process every day. I lived in a five bedroom in, uh, Kips Bay, New York, 26th and third. Uh, it was a five bedroom that wasn't a true five bedroom is a true two bedroom. Three of the bedrooms were on the interior of the building. So I had no window, no natural sunlight. I would wake up at 5am every day, to basically being in a bat cave. Uh, I would go into Morgan Stanley. I'd work out before work. I would be at the desk by 6.30. Um, I'd be working from 6.30 to probably 8 o'clock at night. I would come back from Times Square, which is where the office was. I would work on Morning Brew from 8.30 to call it 11 o'clock or whatever time I fell asleep with my computer on my lap and the lights on. And I would do the same thing the the next day. And I did that every single day for a year and a half. Not only was it exhausting, I knew it wasn't sustainable, but the, the reason I really started you know, thinking about what am I doing is it was this such, such an interesting thing to be introspective about the fact that the job that I was so excited to, about doing for my entire life, once I started doing it, I was less, less excited about that and spending 14 hours in the office working on that than when I would get home and work on Morning Brew for three hours a day that is when i was most energized and excited in my day and to see that dichotomy was really interesting it was also you know it was uncomfortable for sure right like it brought up so many uncomfortable feelings of like why am i feeling this way why am i feeling as though the thing that i felt like i was destined to do i'm not as excited as i thought i would be and the thing that is just like a fun passion project when i should be exhausted and my you know eyes should be closing like I'm excited to work on it. And so basically for that year and a half, I would have calls with my mom. You know, I would talk to my mom every day, but like three days of the week, we'd be talking about like, what am I going to do? When am I going to go full time on this? Um, And I'd always set a goal in my mind of when we got to 100,000 subscribers uh, that I would leave Morgan Stanley to do Morning Brew full time. Uh, For some context, I obviously got impatient because I left... Morgan Stanley when Morning Brew was at thirty thousand readers, Um, (laughs) I I quit my job in September of twenty sixteen. So I had been full time at Morgan Stanley for a year and a half, and as I look at like that decision, the reason I create that whole picture is because one it was a long time coming. Two is I just knew there was a natural, uh, you know, there was a natural fork in the road where I just knew that I felt for a year and a half as though I I was diluting my ability and I was gonna burn myself out. Like the way that I've always approached work is I've always approached it with the mindset that I am not the smartest person in the room. Like I have a good level of intelligence but I'm not the smartest in the room. The way that I succeed is through relentless effort and through extreme resilience. And I just knew that I was putting myself in a position where I couldn't lean on either of those traits because I was not being able to put 110% into being the best trader in the world and not putting 110% into growing Morning Brew. So I knew there was a fork coming um, and it was just about then starting to uh, assess the risk. And so as I thought about leaving Morgan Stanley, I tried to be super logical about it. Um, And I think there were two things that ultimately led to me making the decision. One was just like something that happened in my personal life, which I'll go into, and the other which was uh, learning uh, the ability to assess things on a risk reward framework in any decision I make. And I learned that from my work in sales and trading. So as I thought about leaving, I was just like, you know, what is my worst case scenario? That is how I assess every decision. Like if I am going to go do something, what is the worst case scenario? And so I thought about what is the worst case scenario with leaving Morgan Stanley? Well, the worst case scenario was, you know, six months from me leaving Morgan Stanley Morning Brew doesn't end up working out. You know, We don't see audience growth, we can't monetize whatever it is, it fails. And like that is how I had to think about it because statistically speaking, the vast majority of startups fail. Uh, by the numbers, this is what would happen to Morning Brew. And so then I started asking myself, okay, if that happens, then what? Like, then what happens from there? Um, and I said to myself, like, one, if I'd done the, the startup thing correctly where I built really good relationships, met other people interfaced with other founders, like hopefully this would be a great launchpad for another opportunity to start uh, another company with someone else or join uh, another company that had momentum. And I was like, okay, say I'm, I'm wrong about that. Say that I did. I was a hermit for those six months. I didn't meet anyone. I didn't make any connections. That's not an option. And I was like, okay, then next layer. Say that I still wanted to go back to sales and trading. Hopefully, I haven't burned every bridge at Morgan Stanley where this experience of growing a team, growing an audience, monetizing, that would be valuable to my former boss at Morgan Stanley where he'd take me back, understanding that I had a lot of perspective now. And Then I was like, okay, say I'm wrong about that. I went down another layer and I was like, okay, you know what? I I don't plan on going to business school, but worst case scenario, this could be a really uh, good business school story to get me into a really good program to act, act as another launch pad. And I just ended up going like five or six layers deep. And at some point I was like, if all of these things don't end up being options for me, this is not a morning brew problem. This is like an Alex Lieberman problem with interacting with other people and building great relationships. So that was one side to the equation. That was a huge factor making the decision. The second uh, factor was, you know, in this was 20 um, 2013, uh, I had like a horrible family tragedy. Uh, my dad passed away the week before starting college and, you know, it kind of shook everything. Like he was my best friend. Um, we were so incredibly similar. The reason I wanted to work in sales and trading was not only because of my mom, but it was because my dad worked in sales and trading for 20 years. And I grew up coming to the city as like an elementary school kid, middle school kid to his office once every month, just spending time with him and spending time with the people on his desk. And I think a lot of the decision that I made came out of one, to be totally honest, like a fear, right? Like a fear of um, me doing the same exact thing he was doing and having some tragedy happen to me because of the stress from the job. Like, you know, it. he was without getting in too much detail, like he, passed away pretty suddenly, he was in perfect health, like not expected at all. And that scared the shit out of me, right? Like, uh, to see something, something out of your control happen is a really scary moment. But the other thing, and this always sounds so cliche, is like, that moment did really give me clarity um, in just making sure what I did, I was really passionate about. Um, and that I really love doing because you just you start to realize like how fragile life is and you just don't ever wanna regret not making a decision. And so I think very honestly, like if he was still uh, alive, I don't know if I would've made the same decision um, because I I think that offered me perspective to really go after something that maybe there's a lot of risk associated, but I knew that I would love it while I was working on it. Um, And so yeah, it was the combination of the two that after a year and a half of reconciling this decision, I felt confident about it. My mom always supports me, but she was scared shitless about it. Um, and after a period of time, once she saw momentum with the business, she realized that i made the
2: right decision as well. Dude. Yes. Thank you for answering that. Like, I man. I, I appreciate the, the vulnerability and the detail. I mean, yeah, there's, there's so much in there. Um, I think, you know, I appreciate you unpacking it like you did as well. I think a lot of people look at people who have left jobs or st- started passion outlets they're like well yeah they just made that jump it was very clear but then i talk a lot about how i am very pragmatic and realistic like and you echo that as well like you you took that year and a half to really figure things out and test the waters and then ultimately you know, you jumped, but like you can be pragmatic and realistic. You don't have to all of a sudden make these commitments or make these big changes in your life. You can take time to do exactly what you did, which was answer those what ifs, boil it down to the lowest common denominator, and then realize that you have what it takes, mindset-wise, network-wise, whatever it is, to come back if things do boil down that way. Um, so I I really appreciate you echoing that, and then I think yeah, I mean, relative to to your your father's tragedy. I mean, I think something like that, while obviously incredibly unfortunate and sad, but being rooted in something like that, 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 you know, energizes you to live a life that minimizes regret, that gives you a sense of clarity, that that just gives you that, that intense gratitude. Like, it's unfortunate that it took something like that, but being rooted in, in, in a, in a mindset like that, I think is one of the most powerful things you can have. And I'm sure you'd, you'd agree. It sounds like it's really given you that, that, that clarity to make decisions for yourself that don't lead to regret down the road. And then you went through that thought pro- process to boil it down, um, to really identify for yourself that, yeah, you can make this decision. It can go either way, but either way you have what it takes mindset wise. And just practically, to, to make it through so man uh i really do appreciate that answer that was that was freaking fantastic yeah absolutely um so uh let's let's unpack that a little bit more like you know you you, you touched on it a little bit like passion and purpose and this is something that i talk a lot about this is something that the self-help self-development community loves to talk about whether yep. it's you have to find your passion your purpose or the flip side that's a stupid question to ask yourself. It's you're putting too much pressure on yourself. I guess I would love to understand what you think about the, all this pressure to find your passion, find your purpose, what that means to you, or if you have any kind of practical advice for people relative to that question that I think we we put on ourselves with undue undue pressure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think uh, the cliche of finding your purpose or your passion is founded in in really, like, you know, from a good place, in sound logic, which is do something that makes you happy, do something that fulfills you. Do something that gets you excited every day and doesn't put you to sleep. Uh, you know, something that in its purest form makes you feel like you're living uh, and not just surviving. But I think to that point also, people put a lot of pressure on themselves to be on a certain timeline to find that. And I don't think that's realistic. And I think that honestly can hinder the process. Of finding that thing. Um, I think in my mind, like, I, I'm still looking for purpose and passion, right? Like, uh, and I, I think from the outside, it may appear to people like, oh, like he has found it with morning brew. Yes, like I feel very purposeful and passionate right now about the work I do. I feel passionate about educating millions of people. I feel passionate about working with a group of 22 to 27-year-olds that are incredibly intelligent and incredibly curious and driven. But I think the other thing I think about is, okay, at some point I am going to do something other than Morning Brew. And I think I will be scared shitless for a period of time thinking about what is that thing. I have no – if you were to ask me right now what – if I was to stop doing Morning Brew tomorrow um, and start doing something else and you ask me what is that, I don't know. So I know some of the components of what makes me passionate. Like I know for me, Pat, being passionate is I'm really passionate about learning. I'm really passionate around being other people that are intellectually curious and driven that, and people that challenge me. I'm really passionate about making an impact on people in a positive way. But the manifestation of that, I have no idea what that would look like. If I didn't have morning brew right now, I've literally thought about this business every single day for the last, uh, how long the last five years, like this is in a lot of ways, all I know right now. And so I think it scares me a lot. The idea of finding another manifestation of purpose or passion when this isn't there to be my purpose or passion. I think the other thing is it to that point, it's like, it's a, it can be a lifelong journey. Uh, you know, I think putting a timeline on it adds just way too much pressure where you may end up like almost like uh, giving in uh, too soon for something that you think is your passion or purpose, but the only reason you think it is is because like you feel like you're on, I feel like it's a similar thing to like some people who unfortunately feel uh, a pressure to get married is like they feel like they're on a certain timeline for it to happen at a certain point. Like I understand how society has created that narrative, but I think that just puts you in a really poor position to end up making decisions uh in a way that isn't fully driven by what is truly your your full purpose or passion and when i think about how do you find your purpose or passion one is giving yourself the time to do that and i, I think the reason is is like you can only experience so many things in a given period of time the more time you have the more that surface area for experience increases and so in my mind it's like there's two f- things that uh work together To help you find your purpose or passion, it's time because you just have more opportunity to experience more things to find what you're passionate about. And the other is curiosity. Like uh, I talk about this so much. Um, I talk about curiosity ad nauseum. But I think being intellectually curious is what lets people find their passion or their purpose. Because I think if you start asking questions of yourself and the world, one is it teaches you to be introspective and continue to push yourself to understand what makes you truly happy what makes you tick and i don't think a lot of people take the time to to be curious about themselves but then i think it's also be curious externally ask questions of like you know why like why are a lot of media businesses moving to subscription model why is health technology becoming a big thing uh why did the word xerox become a verb or why did the word google become a verb or like any of these just random questions i think curiosity is a muscle um, and by asking questions it opens your mind to experiencing totally new things, experiencing totally new people it, it it is the opposite of close-mindedness and I think by doing that by asking these questions, time is something that you know expands your surface surface area of experiences but I think curiosity also expands your surface area of experiences. I think the combination of two, the more surface area of experiences you have uh, the better you give, the better chance you give yourself to find that one or two experiences that make something click um, and makes you realize, wow, like you want to spend the rest of your life or at least a very long time doing that thing.
0: Hey, real quick, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp and Really my style, simple but with a pop of luxury. And as advertised, it was very affordable. So indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash new mindset for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's quince q u slash new mindset to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash new mindset.
2: Yeah. Dude, I love that. I could not agree more. Time and curiosity. We're we're very similar. I I agree. I think personally, I think we should stop with this purpose, passion conversation and just literally focus on that time and curiosity. I mean, I always define like passion and purpose as for me, it's just the power of possibility. A lot of P's in there, but like, that's, that's, that's it for me. Like, that's what jazzes me up. I'm the same way. And I think Like, people would look at you and they'd be like, wow, like, this dude has it all figured out. He wakes up every day. He's completely fulfilled. He's doing what he's extremely passionate about. Like, this is his purpose in life. But then through a conversation like this, like, you're still evolving through that. So I think it it is really important for people to understand that despite what you may see, despite what you might assume, despite the way that we look at people's highlight reels, like, that's not always. The case in a in a good way in a good way in the sense that you're this guy who's by all means very successful and very driven by what he does but you're still in the search of the things that make you curious and like you're always evolving. Totally, so I uh, I freaking love that man.
1: And, and I think to that point also, like I'm not convinced that purpose and passion is something is that is static. Like I I also believe that potentially when I'm 45 years old, the things that make me feel purposeful and passionate. Like the DNA of that could be different than uh, 25-year-old Alex's uh, components that make him feel passionate or purposeful about things. So I'm open to the idea of like what makes me passionate or what makes me fulfilled totally changing over the arc of my life.
2: Yeah, man. Yeah, I I agree. I like I did an episode the other day on I think I titled it. it's never too late. Like I would love to completely change things up when I'm 45 or 50. Like that energizes me that amps me up. But then I listen to people. They're like, Oh, you know, by the time I'm 30, I want to be married suburbs doing this thing. And that's it. And I'm like, It's awesome. Live in the suburbs. Be married. Whatever. But like, don't have that closed mindset that you want to settle down. Like, I would never want to settle down intellectually, or you know, uh, creatively. To me, like that's that's my biggest nightmare. So totally, yeah. I I I, freaking love that. No, I think to that point, it's interesting
1: you say the word "settle down" because it's like a term. It's an idiom that people use so much, and like, I think. Potentially, it's like a really unhealthy one, right? Like settling down has become such a – so synonymous with a certain stage of life. And like I don't know that settling down is the right way to look at it. Like if what settling down represents is like having a family, having kids, like barbecuing in your backyard, having a dog that's really cute to run around the house and your kid uh, you know plays with, that's great. But in my mind, like that should fulfill you. It should be from the lens of is that making you happy? and is that what that what's making you fulfilled in your life? Because if it's just coming from a place of not answering that question, but just saying like this was a, a box that I had to check to feel settled down in my life, I, I think that can be
2: really dangerous. Yeah, man, I I couldn't agree more. Yeah, it's, there seems to be this desire to just remove question marks from your life. I yeah, think a lot so, of times that's what people mean when they say settle down. Like I don't have to worry about finding this per this person or you know having the craziness of the city or a job or whatever. Like they just they don't, they want to remove those those gray areas from their life. But to me, that's where you thrive. So uh, yeah, man. Uh, so I want to get to a couple other questions. I want to keep the the interview nice and nice and tight, like I always do. But um, I want to talk about my favorite subject, which is big dick energy, which yep. is a weird thing that I love to talk about. But like here we've got you, this guy, you've got a lot of press lately, man, which is freaking awesome. Forbes Thank 30 you. under 30. Um, all you're hitting a million subscribers. You've been all over the place. So I'm I'm curious in, in my life, um, creating something, having, you know, a humbly um, decent following myself, like it's given me a lot of confidence. Like, yep. Creating something and then having people buy into it and having it motivate them and just influence them. Like that's done a lot for me personally, confidence wise, um, just centered me. Um, I'm curious what it's done for you. Um, I think just the vibe that I'm getting from you is like, I think it sounds like you've probably been a decently uh, confident dude um, just my 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 vibe from you but like I'd love to know like if there's been a journey confidence wise like how you've come to believe in yourself and and what you do and like where that's taken you kind of where you started where you are now and, like where you see yourself being able to grow totally
1: yeah I think it's really interesting because well you know, to overlay all this, one thing I'll say is, I was not at all a confident person growing up. I was incredibly self-conscious. Uh, I didn't feel totally in place. Um, I never felt, especially like in you know middle school and high school, I didn't feel like I could truly connect to people my age. It, it sounds weird, but like I felt like I actually could connect more with like the parents of kids my age, and uh, and so like yeah, I would say that I any form of confidence I hit my stride in college. Um, And that's definitely been amplified over the last few years with the brew. But what I will say is um, there's two main points I want to make. One is that while I am very confident now professionally about the brew, uh, starting the company and the early days of the company and not even like that uh, far in the past, like semi-recently I, I think running a, a company is one of like the most vulnerable states you can put yourself in um, where you really have to reconcile things about yourself that you haven't reconciled before. And I also think I look at confidence as not kind of like this on-off thing. You either are confident or not. I think it's so multifaceted where you can be confident – About certain things in life, like you can have confidence socially. You can have confidence professionally. You can have confidence with your family or your friends. Like there's so many moving parts of confidence. So what I'll also say is like, I'm very confident as it comes to certain things in life, but I think there are also other things that I'm not very confident about that I still have so much work to do. Um, so with the brew, like in the early days, I was always confident about. My ability to find success. I always believed in the mission of our business to make uh, the business world engaging for the modern business leader. I believe that the combination of Austin and my curiosity, work ethic, and the need in the market would end up, um, you know, would end up being our north star, and we'd find success. Uh, I always knew we were resilient people. I always knew we'd be level-headed about things, but I think there were always. These, uh, you know, these things I didn't realize about myself growing up that started to you know, like kind of these insecurities that I started to see come through as just certain challenges, um, as certain challenges uh, appeared in the business. So like even, you know, working with with Austin, uh, what I realized for the first time was someone who was better than me at things. And that was honestly a very weird feeling, uh, working with someone who I felt was genuinely just better than me, uh, at certain things like at process, at organization, at thinking through the financials of the business. Um, like he was just a better COO and operator than I could ever be. And I think in the beginning it was a really unsettling feeling for me because I, I was always someone who believed that like, if I work hard enough, I will be the best at everything. But I found someone who already had a higher base than me at certain things and also had as strong of a work ethic than me. Like I knew that I would never be as good as him at those things. And I think in the beginning, I tried to fight that, right? Like I, I felt this vulnerability where it was like, oh, I need to overcompensate on the things I'm good at because I feel like now I have to prove that like if I'm not gonna be as good at certain things, like I need to be great at the things that I am better at. And I I thought that way for a while because it, it was unsettling for me to feel like I uh had deficiencies in place somewhere else where some uh someone was really good. Um and I I started to just come to terms with the fact that like that was the best possible concern to have in my head, like someone being better than me at something someone who complimented my skills someone who I could lean on for things that i wasn't as good at um, it took you know months to feel that way but like to me there's there's no more like dick measuring contest of like oh I need to show that I'm so incredibly creative or that I'm so good at interacting with people or so good at like selling the brew the things that austin leads on me for like I just have to believe like that is where my value is to the business I don't need to flaunt it i just need to do what what I enjoy doing and continue to think in the way that I think, and also feel incredibly grateful for the fact that I have a a partner and co-founder who balances me with things that, uh, you know, naturally my brain isn't programmed to be great at. Uh, So that's one big thing. And I think the second thing that I I was talking about is I have so much confidence about our business. I have so much confidence about our team. Uh, I have so much confidence about you know, uh, my curiosity and work ethic and how that will help me find success. But I do think like there are other areas of life, like, you know, my personal life for my social life where I don't have nearly as much, uh, confidence relative to my professional experience. And I think what it comes down to is like, uh, experience and practice. I I've had a ton of professional experience now, right? Like the, the two and a half years of running morning brew, has been like dog years, right? Like it's felt like I've been involved in a business for for 15 years and have had to put out so many fires and I've had to hire people and fire people and manage people and train people and teach myself new skills. I think at the end of the day, confidence comes from a place of experience, uh, like perfect practice makes perfect. And I think I'll naturally become more confident in other areas of life as I start to perfectly practice those other areas of life like I have with my professional career.
2: Dude, I love that. Okay, so there's a lot in there. Uh, um, I'll I let's, I'll keep it that note there because I think a lot of times people think about, oh, I need to be a more confident person. And they're like they, – they cast aside their job and they think about themselves like socially. But I think like as an entrepreneur myself but also as someone who works in corporate America and a nine-to-five, like that is like fertile training ground for you to work – on your confidence, like you, you are at your job the majority of the day. The majority of your interaction during the week is at your job. Like it's the perfect opportunity for you to push yourself. Yeah, it's within the, the business realm. It's within whatever guardrails are that you're doing. But it's like the perfect opportunity to push yourself to to be awkward, to be embarrassed, to gain that experience, and realize that it doesn't affect you and build your confidence there. That then trickles into your personal life. And yeah. I, I am I am a product of that personally. Like I've talked a lot about it. On the podcast, getting in the sales, starting pursuit—all those different things. Those are all business things, but it's fundamentally improved my confidence in my personal life because a decision, a decision is a decision, whether it's in your social life or in your business. And then when you go through it and you get told no or you get laughed at or whatever, like it's all the same to me. It's all experience, so I think it's such a great opportunity if you're listening in the business in whatever the context of your nine to five is or whatever creative field you're in, like you should use that as an opportunity, like that is experience and I, and i think a, a big part of that to your point there a big part of building confidence certainly is is that that hum, that humbling measure of acceptance like realizing that you don't have to be you don't have to be the dude with the biggest dick in the room yep. you don't have to be the smartest the best the best looking the best most well spoken like remove that pressure from yourself and i think the path to building your confidence is so much more clear like you just stop caring you stop trying to be the best You set a measure that's relative to yourself instead of other people, and like that sets you free. So I love that you mentioned that with Austin and like totally.
1: And I think there's just two last things to hit on there. One is you said talked about sales. Uh, I think sales is one of the most uh devalued skills especially in college yeah. like when i was in michigan yep. like no one would touch sales as a skill with a 10 foot pole i think sales is the most important skill that i've learned in running a business i am selling our advertisers on a daily basis we are selling our readers i was selling investors like everything we do is sales cuz sales is a combination of consulting and storytelling and i think also aside from like storytelling being important in anything you do because it's not a, just about what you say, it's how you say it. It's also to me uh, made me confident about being rejected. Like, I think I always had a fear of just like people judging me, people rejecting me, um, feeling wanted. And I think that honestly comes from a place of, like I was saying before, not having confidence uh, when I was in middle school and high school, not feeling like truly a part of the group of people I was with. Uh, I think that naturally made me predisposed to worrying about feeling accepted as a person. And I think sales in a lot of ways is what taught me to feel confident in my own skin. Um, and I think secondly, like I always associated like strength, uh, with very specific traits that I think were generally like very, what are perceived as masculine traits, like not showing emotion, not showing vulnerability, showing a relentlessness, uh, And I think what I've realized over time is as I look at the people that I view as some of the strongest, most confident people in life, they don't look like that or sound like that at all. And so I think I've learned just the the value of vulnerability and how empowered you feel from that. Like, you know, two years ago, I would have never – come into this conversation talking about anything from like my insecurity as a kid to my lack of confidence in certain areas of life to what happened with my dad. But to me, I think honestly, there's a certain level of freedom and empowerment you feel when you feel like it doesn't matter who it is you can talk to them about it and feel okay about it and if they judge you for it that's fine that's their decision but know that like you feel confident in those experiences and how they've shaped you as a person and i also think the more that you open up to someone the more you give someone else an opportunity to open up to you and the the level of depth of your connection happens so much quicker than most relationships
2: yeah, dude, I I could not agree more. I mean, I think vulnerability is like the most powerful tool in in your arsenal from a character building perspective. And I think like I think a lot of people certainly you know were insecure growing up, and some people more so than others. But like, I think it's easy for people to be like, oh, well, you know, you grew out of it. But like, I think even if you're now you're if you're a thirty year old person and you're listening, you're like, I am still incredibly insecure. I think going back to a theme that we're seeing here is that timing and curiosity can, can cure everything. It doesn't matter if you're 30 or 40 and you're still insecure and not confident. Like there's so many ways for you to change that. Like the timeline doesn't matter, which always, always excites me. Like I, I, again, it is cliche that it's never too late and people are like, yeah, yeah. yeah but like, You and I have both proven that and we're just two dudes talking. Like I'm sure anyone has a story in their life where the the timeline is always evolving. So it doesn't matter if you're insecure as a child or if you're insecure now as a 30-year-old. Like there's always opportunity to grow out of it. And I think to your point, yeah, it comes from being vulnerable. And then from there, it comes from being curious to challenge that vulnerability and see what you can change about that, man. So I freaking love that. Uh, yeah, so, uh, I'll give you the mic and then we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up. But i I wanted to ask you one more question because I'm big on, uh, I'm big on mindset. Obviously I'm big on optimism, the power of positivity. So I guess I would ask you, um, personally as Alex, as a, just a chill bro, like outside of the brew, like, what are you excited about right now for yourself? Uh, you've said a couple things that, that, um, that, you know, you're excited about, you know, remaining curious and and finding other areas of life. Like, what like what, if you have just like two minutes to say, like what, like what excites you about life right now, about being alive in 2019? Yeah. I mean, honestly, it it sounds,
1: it sounds very cliche also, but I I just feel so incredibly fortunate and, and lucky, right? Like I've, as a 25 year old, have had the opportunity, um, to meet some of just the, the smartest, most pure, uh, good hearted, Uh, And curious people over the last two years. Uh, And that's ranging from literally 21 year olds to 70 year olds. Um, You know, I have an amazing family. I have an amazing friend and support group. Um, And I think what I'm most excited about is one thing I believe will be constant throughout my life is my love of people, truly connecting with people at a deep level, understanding their story, understanding how. I can help them, how I can learn from them and they can learn from me. Um, And so I think the reason uh, I'm so excited just about 2019 and just life in general is I've realized over the last year and a half how important it is to surround yourself with really great people, the people you want to surround yourself with. And you know, I think Tim Ferriss says this, other people say it like, how you curate your group of friends, um, your group of people. It helps shape you as a person. And I think over the last year and a half, not only have I really appreciated what that means in context and seen the power of that, but I've also started to realize for myself, what type of people do I want to surround myself with? Um, and I think there's so many different traits, um, and characteristics and interests of people I want to surround myself with. And to me, like being in a position where, um, I feel confident that I can kind of meet anyone that I'd like to in New York City, um, both personally, personally and professionally and, and, and I've gotten good enough to guide a conversation in a way that isn't superficial, that gets down to like the meat of who someone is, where I can learn from them, they can learn from me and we understand each other. Uh, that's what I'm really excited about. Um, at the same time, I'm also excited about the, the, the ability to prioritize and say no, which, which I think is so important to caveat with there because I have so much opportunity now to speak to such amazing people. Uh, But also naturally as someone who loves to speak to people, I also see uh, the possibility of uh, not affording myself time to give time to myself, to be introspective, to spend – to prioritize my time with work and the other things I want to work on. So I'm also excited about the idea of finding a great balance of connecting with great people. But not doing so at the expense of, you know, my own mindset, health and wellness and uh, deprioritizing things that are really important. Uh, I think finding that balance to me is a really exciting place to play.
2: Yeah, man. I mean, yes is a powerful word, but no is also a powerful word and you need to know when to use both. But I love that. And I think it's a great way to wrap up because… I think, and I talk about it all the time, it's the motto of pursuit, it's perspective that inspires. And I think having an enthusiasm, having a intense curiosity to connect with other people, like I think that's such a powerful thing to have, such a powerful mindset to have, because you never know what that that little catalyst for change is. So it could be as simple as maybe someone's listening to this conversation and they're like, wow, Alex said something in that conversation with Case and my life has never been the same. Like I've never thought about it like that. Or meeting someone in person and being like, wow, I've never heard someone say this or live through that. Like this totally changed my outlook on life. Like I think it's just amazing. Sometimes people undervalue the the potential of changing your life through a simple interaction. And it's not necessarily like, oh, that person's literally gonna shake me and change my life. It's just sometimes you hear something in a diff- from a different lens and a different word, and it just it could totally change your mindset. So I love that man. I think anyone who's listening should just try to really think about their hunger to to either meet new people or if that's if that's you know a challenge for you, it's just to understand different perspectives, which could be consume more podcasts, read more, and then of course, just push yourself to have that human social element. I think that's everything, man. So I appreciate you saying that. No, absolutely.
1: And I think, again, if if people can take from this conversation just like small nuggets of, you know, insight, advice, information that inspires, inspires them to, to do something, anything, um, I think it will have made this conversation so incredibly worth it. Um, and I think as I look at, you know a lot of the things i've said in this podcast it hasn't been things i like you know my views on life that i've just created out of thin air it's been from hearing other people have conversations and like picking my spots of hearing something that was you know really provocative to just how i think about myself uh, or or the world around me that i would have never thought about had i not heard
2: so and so talking about something in the past yeah, man, that, that's, that's it. That's everything right there. Uh, cool. So I want to wrap up. Anything you want to plug? Obviously, everyone knows they can find you at Morning Brew. Anything in particular? Yeah, no. Uh, I mean, again,
1: uh, I'm trying to learn to be more judicious about my time, but I really do love connecting with people. So feel free to shoot me an email uh, at alexmorningbrew.com. Um, I'm terrible with social media, uh, namely Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, but I do spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. Uh, Just having conversations with people, uh, putting out random conversation starters, thoughts on the startup world, thoughts on the media marketing world, uh, thoughts on whether the number of haircuts you can get is infinite or finite. So if you ever just want to get interesting conversations going, uh, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn.
2: That's awesome, man. Yeah, I mean, you definitely practice what you're preaching there, the desire to connect with people. So kudos to you. Uh, But awesome, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode. First guest, I think it was awesome. Alex is amazing. I think he's got a lot of great perspective. So definitely subscribe to The Morning Brew um, if you haven't already. It's amazing in your inbox. Uh, It's fantastic. But I hope you enjoyed this episode. I plan on having some guests on in the future just to have some really real and raw perspective outside of my own. But we'll be back to a normal episode next time. But I think this is a great special episode for you to listen to. So until next episode, I'm out.